Welcome to Elmira Baptist Church Sunday School. It is very good to see everybody here. And uh, special welcome, pastors, mom and dad. Good to see you guys. And uh, kind of jumping into the middle of the supremacy of Christ here. But uh, welcome to all of you. I hope you had a good week. And we're, you should have a handout, which is uh, pink, I guess. So... My, not not necessarily my choice of color, but it is distinctive. <laughs> just just wanted to get that in. Okay. So we have a, a interesting lesson this morning on um, the basis for the supremacy of Christ. We're in Colossians one. If you want to turn there, we'll, we'll be starting about verse fifteen, and our emphasis will be on nineteen to twenty. Um, Welcome to everybody, especially those of you that are watching online. We're glad you're here. And uh, let's have a word of prayer and ask the Lord to bless us this morning as we look at this uh, challenge. This is a challenging subject. Not everybody um, uh, teaches this, but it's a very important subject. Father, thank you so much for your blessings. Thank you for each one that's here. Thank you for all the families represented. We know that this is a busy time. People are very, very, very busy. Lord, we thank you for the time that we could stop and look at your word and take a minute and delve into what is involved in the supremacy of Christ. Lord, I pray that you would give us a greater understanding, help us to have a fresh look at this. I know that we've looked at uh, these verses before we're, we're going on forward into the chapter and looking at the sufficiency of Christ. I pray that you would help us. I pray that you would help me to be clear. And I, I, we know the time is short and there's much to share. I pray that you would work this out to where it would be really glorifying to your name. We pray for those that are ill and can't be here. We pray for those that are hurting and suffering. Pray for your comfort, your encouragement, your healing. And most of all, we pray your spirit would be with them and be encouraging to them and comforting. Lord, we know that um, we trust in you, that you care for us, that you love us, that you take care of us. We thank you for our church, our pastor, and all the brothers and sisters in Christ that we have. Pray your blessing upon us and be with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been looking at Colossians chapter 1, and we've spent quite a bit of time. And I taught this about 20 years ago, and this is even slower than, than we went that time. Because I just don't want to rush through this. This is really important. If we worship and are trusting in our Lord Jesus Christ, and we are Christians, we should know who he is and what he is and what, it, what that means to us. So um, let's read. I'm gonna, you could follow along as I read. I'd like you to keep your Bibles open to uh, this chapter 1 because we're going to be being referred, referring to a lot of the words and clauses and everything. So chapter 1, verse 15, uh, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, all creation for by him were all things created that are in heaven that are in earth visible and invisible whether they be thrones 
or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Now, we're not going to address these today, 21 through 23, but I want to read them so that we, we hear it again. And you that were sometimes, sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If ye continue in their faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, and which was preached to every creature creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Now I read that so that we kind of have the context and the feeling of the passage. Um, so in verses, uh, looking at your handout, now most of what I say is coming right off the handout. So if you have the handout, you don't even have to listen to me. <laughs> but the idea is, for those at home that maybe would have said, oh, what did he say? Most of it is here. So they have a sense at least of, of, the, of what's going on. If they miss a word or if the sound goes or something. So the introduction here. Uh, I want you to make a change. It says verses uh, six, 16, uh, 18 through 23. You should read verses 15 through 23. So if you want to change that. Verse 15, verses 15 through 23 of chapter 1. We've talked about how they present our Lord Jesus Christ as preeminent, supreme over all, absolutely superior to all things. And this statement of superiority, supremacy of of Christ in this passage in 15 through 18 focused on three major statements that we talked about in the past showing Christ and demonstrating his preeminence. Number one in verse 15 Christ is the image of God 15a uh, who is the image of the invisible God. And we talked about how Christ is made visible by uh, how God is the Father is made visible by Christ and Secondly, so he's deity, he's God. Secondly, uh, and that's where most cults, by the way, fall down, is they don't look at the Lord Jesus Christ as the second person in the Trinity, fully God. I think every cult I've ever heard or seen, that's where their error is. Uh, because when they make the Lord Jesus as God, then they have to do what he says. And they don't want to do that, they want to teach the false teaching. Okay, So creation. 15 through 17, that Christ is the Lord of creation, the firstborn of every creature, 15b, for by him are all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things are created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist or hang together. Christ keeps everything working. 
It would be like the atom splitting if it weren't for the Lord Jesus Christ holding things together. And he's the head of the body, 18, and the church who is the beginning. That's, that's the church. So he is God. He's the Lord of creation. And he's the head of the body, the church. And 18 says, and he's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Okay, so we've looked at Christ as the uh, as part of the review. Christ is, the, is supreme. And these three statements that Paul used to show the supremacy of Christ are in verses 15 through 18. And we spent quite a bit of time going over those. Now, new to us in our study is uh, verses 19 through 23. And that's the next section we're going to be moving to talk about. And <clears throat> so these verses really show showed Christ's supremacy. Now we're going to show his sufficiency. Not only is he supreme, but he is sufficient to do certain things that we're going to look at. So chapter 1 presents uh, the, the basis or grounds for the supremacy of Christ. And verse 19 begins with for, for by him are all things, that's 16, uh, 19, for it pleased, for it pleased, for it pleased. And that is used in the sense of because. And that indicates that the rest of the verses in verses 19 through 23 in this passage are the explanation and reasons for the supremacy of Christ previously described in verses 15 through 18. So we have the supremacy in verses 15 through 18, and then 19 through 23, we have the sufficiency. I like that. I like when things are neat. Paul is really good at that. He is masterful at, at wordsmithing and long sentences, too. Okay, so uh, these are the basis or grounds or explanation or reasons. And uh, in the context of the divine will, Paul, that, in other words, the context here is what God willed, for it pleased the Father. That was his will. Uh, Paul affirms that it was God's will or his decree, theological language, in the last part of verse 18, that Christ only be supreme in that Christ be the firstborn uh, from the dead. Christ only, is what we're talking about, only Christ is supreme. Uh, and he is, quote, the firstborn from the dead so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. God's will uh, continues to be highlighted in verses 19 through 23. One scholar said Christ's supremacy was so arranged in the providence of God or the will of God. And then let's look at item C in the outline right in the middle of the page, page one. Paul describes the basis for Christ's supremacy and directly emphasizes God's will, that context of God's will, and two things in verses 19 through 23. In verse 19, he says the fullness of God. In verse 19 says, for it pleased the Father that in him all fullness dwell. So it was God's will that the fullness of um, the fullness, pleroma, 
uh, dwell in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then secondly, the reconciling work of Christ. Verses 20 through 23 describe that. So we have one verse for the fullness. And we're not going to get through 23 today. We'll pay that ahead of time, so don't say, speed up, Scotty. <laughs> we're just going to take our time and look at this. Wherever we get to, we'll stop when it's time. And I'm watching the clock. Uh, so a, a man named uh, Donald Guthrie said, we may certainly conclude that the threat from this false teaching of Gnosticism was of such a character that immediate corrective action was imperative and that this was the real purpose for this letter. Paul has two main problems to settle. One doctrinal concerning the person of Christ, the misappropriation and the misunderstanding of who Christ was, and then also the other, that was doctrinal, then there was a practical discussion respecting the life of the Christian. So what's interesting is the chapter is neatly divided up. First two chapters are doctrinal, the last two are practical. So Paul took two chapters to discuss one, two chapters to discuss the other. He goes on to say the epistle contains a high Christology, meaning the study of Christ or a view of Christ. Christ is preeminent over all creatures and over creation itself. In fact, all things were not only created by him, and actually, I would add, are sustained by him, but they were created for him. That's what we don't often think about, is this was all for Christ. This is all for Christ. He is seen at the center of the universe, sovereign over all principalities, powers, over all agencies. That is to say, whoever might challenge his authority. Not only so, he is the image of God and the possessor of the fullness of God, which we're going to talk about, the pleroma. And these statements could not fail to exalt him to an equality with God. He is God. Now, he is further described as the head of the church, which is conceived of as his body. And the Christological passage 15 through 19, in which all these ideas are expressed, are followed by an immediate statement regarding Christ's redemption work. Christ is supreme. Christ is supreme. And it talks about he redeemed us. So, and this redemptive work is supported by further statement in chapter 2 verse 14 in that the cross in the cross Christ triumphed over his enemies all his enemies clearly Paul's purpose is to demonstrate the immeasurable superiority of Christ as contrasted with the heretical apostate presentation by the <coughs> Gnostics saying that and advocating that he was inadequate they taught that or tried to teach that to the Colossians. Okay. So we are at uh, Roman numeral two, God's will for the supremacy of Christ. Okay. Um, the first thing, we're looking at verse 19, which says, For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Now, so the first word we want to look at is pleasure or pleased. You guys got a handout? 
Okay, uh, right here. I'm not actually like that, man. <laughs> so. <laughs> so we're looking at, we're under Roman number two, uh, a little bit below the middle, middle of the page, but talks about the fullness of Christ, verse 19. Christ is supreme because it was the good pleasure of the Father that in him, Christ, all the fullness should dwell. Now what was surprising for me is because this doesn't read like a verb in English. And you know, Greek and English don't match exactly all the time. But it is a verb that's translated, it pleased or it was good, his good pleasure, is the good pleasure. So God's, it was God's will that in Christ all fullness dwell. So that term, it pleased, or it was, uh, it was the good pleasure, that means that was God's will. Now, fullness, number two. The word fullness is the word we actually referred to it previously. It is pleroma. I spell that out. Uh, it's used 17 times in the New Testament, but only four times with the meaning in line with our passage here. And um, let's, I'm, I'm going to read real quickly those passages. You have a summary of the phrase there that is uh, the applicable phrase. Or for Romans, three of them are in Ephesians. Ephesians 1.23 which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all, or the fullness of him who fills all. Ephesians 3.19, um, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. And then 4.13, shall we all come into the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then uh, the passage uh, in Colossians 2, 9, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's a pretty powerful statement. In fact, that's considered to be the most powerful statement of the deity of Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now, what is interesting is that while there's some division over the exact meaning of this term, um, all agree that it's a reference to his deity. God in his fullness, I've written in the very last paragraph on page one, God in his fullness, all that God is, mold, uh, M-O-U-L-E, uh, said that. Full nature of God, Phillips. The totality of divine powers and attributes, J.B. Lightfoot. And then W.E. Vine has said, God in the completeness of his being. And then Weymouth said, the whole of the divine powers and perfections, all of which God is. Now, I know the hour is early, 
It's early for some, late for others. But I have a long quote. But this is really worth reading. Um, so I want you to wake up. <laughs> Whatever you need to do. <laughs> I, you know, I was, that, was, uh, that was rhetorical. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, John MacArthur is going to talk to us a little bit about the sufficiency of the fullness. Okay. And so, but I think it's worth hearing. So just bear with me because he is much more eloquent than I am. And I think it will help us. He says, what is the fullness? What fullness is he talking about? Go back to John 1, 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. That's the fullness we're talking about, John MacArthur said. And that was from John 1.14. 14. Now listen carefully. The fullness that is in Christ, the fullness of grace and truth, and it's all the fullness in him, all grace, all truth, all divine love, all justifying righteousness, all true pardon, all divine forgiveness, adoption, inheritance, sanctification, holiness, wisdom, strength, knowledge, understanding, peace, joy, comfort, all those spiritual realities, all of them, the fullness of all spiritual realities are in Christ, all that anyone needs. So it isn't Christ plus someone else or something else. All that any sinner needs is in one person, in Christ. He is all you need by divine design by divine intention, by divine purpose, ours in divine experience. Those are ours by divine experience. He is sufficient. He ends that paragraph. Now that's, that's a great quote because it shows not only is Christ supreme, but because he's supreme, he is sufficient. We don't need Christ plus. We need the fullness of Christ, which we have already in Christ. So, chapter 2, verse 3 says, It's in him that are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All of them, MacArthur goes on to say. That's why verse 10 says, In him you have been made complete. Jesus needs no supplement. Now, I don't have everything I need. And I'm going to the doctor this week, and they're going to check to see if I have enough of this supplement, or this uh, mineral, and this thing, and this. So, I have to take those extra, you know, like vitamin D. So I don't get enough, or some medicine I'm taking is blocking those, or whatever. We have all that we need in Christ. We don't have to take any supplements. It's not Christ plus X, Y, Z. It's Christ only. So Jesus has no deficiency, like I do. He has no rival. He is everything. Now, I was looking at uh, this this was an extract from a, a, a lesson that he preached. And I said lesson because you always learn from, from the preaching there. But he has his prayer. And I, I, I was going to just disregard this. And I said, wait a minute. I was going to use this at the end. But, I, I, you know, we're going to give the application early. Okay. I want you to listen to this prayer that he prays about the Lord Jesus Christ and to God the Father. He said, Father... We thank you that we have been able to take a look at the Redeemer. 
our Lord. Our hearts are full to overflowing as we think about the vast, sweeping realities that have taxed our feeble brains to think of who he is. That baby in a manger, that man who walked the earth, that one who died, rose, who ascended, and who will return. And more than that, it's not that we know that we it's not that we know about him. It's not that we know about him. To think of it, we know him. We know him. More than that, we are in him, and he's in us. Therefore, we have all sufficiency in all things. All that pertains to life and godliness is ours because Christ is ours and we are his and we live in him as he lives in us and we are inseparable. Fill us with the joy and the comprehension of this glorious Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Now that's one of the best prayers I've ever heard. And that fits exactly what I want for us. We need to recognize that we have all sufficiency in all things because he is sufficient and he is ours and we are his. Amen. If he is sufficient, so are we as believers. Now that's the application. So I don't want anyone to ever say, well, where's the application, Scotty? I'm going to give the application early and that'll cover a couple of weeks too. <laughs> Okay, so let's turn over to the top of page two in our handout. Now, Paul states that all the fullness dwells in Christ. Now, MacArthur's kind of helped us see this a bit. This is significant because the Gnostics wrongly believed that the many spirit buildings uh, beings filling the space between God and man possessed some measure of deity. They didn't believe that Christ was fully God. They didn't believe that he was the creator. They didn't believe that Christ was the head of the church. They did not believe that he was the sole, single, only mediator between God and man but he is fully God and um, Curtis Vaughn has said it's significant that Paul says all the fullness dwells in Christ the Gnostic heresies parceled out deity among many spirit beings which they thought of as filling the space between God and the world and they looked at these powers as intermediaries and taught that any communication between God and the world had to pass through them, those spirit beings, angels, or emanations, or other things. They probably included, the Gnostics probably included Christ among these supernatural powers, admitting that he was of heavenly origin and that God in some sense was present in him. He was, however, only, they taught wrongly, only one aspect of the divine nature and in himself was not sufficient for all the needs of man. Paul, in contrast, declares deity is not distributed among a bunch of hierarchy of powers. Christ is not just one of many divine beings. 
He is the one mediator between God and the world and all, not part, of the attributes and activities of God are centered in him. So he has all the fullness of God in him, dwells in Christ. Now the word dwell, the word dwell is translated from a Greek word meaning to settle down or abide uh, in a dwelling or a residence. And it means to take permanent residence, not merely a temporary stay. Uh, sometimes it's <coughs> moving. I remember in the old days, you come to a base and before they had a place ready for you to stay or you could find a house, they had these little temporary living quarters. And for a long time at Travis, they were kind of where the lodge is now, they were like prefab. It felt like you were in a plastic bubble. It was funny. They weren't plastic, but they looked like it. And, and they did away with those things. And it was temporary living quarters. In fact, they called them TLQ, temporary living quarters. We're not in TLQ, okay? And, and uh, so this Greek word means to dwell in a, in a permanent residence. And it's here in Colossians, in Colossians 2, 9, it used to indicate permanent indwelling of the totality of attributes and powers of the Godhead in Christ, of the mind. And Colossians 2, 9 tells us. Brother Scotty. Yes. Okay, so, I mean, the fullness of God, right? Uh, I don't think we, humanly speaking, can right, grasp the extent of God's attributes, right? Characteristics, his power, his majesty, mercy, so on and so on and so on. So he's not saying that in this case, you know, that the fullness, that we might be filled with all fullness of God, um, is he's not saying that we have that because we. Right, right. right. He's saying that we have the resources that come from that. Uh, that we can, that we can experience the, the, uh, as, as we dedicate ourselves to the, to the Lord God, we can experience His mercy, His, and so forth and so forth, right? So it's not that I'm going to feel... Right, exactly. Okay. Well said, yes. Okay. Right. So we have the benefits, the resources, right. and I'm careful about using the word experience because some people worship their experiences rather than right. God. So, uh, yes, I, 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 I think I that, what happened to me the sufficiency, and from the, su yeah. su su the capability standpoint, right. sufficiency of Christ, and the context there is, they said God, the Lord Jesus Christ, couldn't do any, all these things because he wasn't Christ, and he can do all of these things for us. He can redeem us, and he can say, you know, uh, John MacArthur goes into this long thing about mm -hmm. uh, what parallels reconciliation and it's, it's an amazing. I wish I had time to share that with you because that is, I shared it with Cindy. It's really great uh, in that message that he preached. So, yes, it's not that we will become gods ourselves as some, uh, some um, uh, cults teach. You know, as God is, so we can become. It's, Mormons teach that. That's wrong. We can, we will be like God in Lord Jesus Christ in character. Not in um, God and not in Godhood. So, uh, Colossians two nine says, "For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily." And I thank you for that distinction. That's very good. Oh, so we were looking at dwell in the middle of 
uh, item number four, top of page two, uh, the word dwell is used here and also in Colossians 2.9 to indicate the permanent indwelling of the totality of attributes and powers of the Godhead in Christ. Paul was refuting the heresy and taught that the divine fullness, that's the deity of, of Christ, was uh, Paul was refuting the heresy that taught that the divine fullness was transitory and temporary in Christ. Uh, Lightfoot said God had the pleasure or will, God had will in the indwelling of all the divine powers and attributes in the Son. So it was God's will that all the in that in Christ dwelt all the divine powers and attributes. So Paul is saying it's God's will and pleasure that all the fullness of deity and the Godhead permanently resides in bodily form in Christ because that is the means by which he performs the reconciling work, our salvation. And that's the next section. And we're going to touch on this and then we're going to stop. So um, the reconciling work of Christ is verses 20 through 23. We'll just get through part of 20. Now, verse 20 has a lot of clauses in it. So we're not going to take the clauses in, in the order of the, in the grammatical order. We're going to take them uh, in the importance of the words. And, you know, in English and Spanish, things are backwards, you know. Yeah. The subject lines up last, yeah. the verbs first, and well, things, things are like that. So that's why I'm doing that. Um, so, the second basis and reason, so the first basis and reason for Christ's supremacy is uh, the, um, the fullness of Christ. The second one is the reconciling work of Christ. So, Christ's supremacy is reflected in his reconciliation. Number one, the Father was pleased through him, that is Christ, to reconcile all things unto himself. Now the verse actually reads, And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether it be things in earth or things in heaven. So you see that the, the meat, uh, there's an introductory uh, prepositional phrase, and the meat is at the end there. So we're going to look at that meat first. So the second basis was the Father was pleased. It was his will through him or Christ to reconcile all things into himself. Verse 28. Um, the first, this verse rather, is connected closely with 19. The verb to dwell in that we just went through verse 19, for please the Father that him all fullness dwell is actually a parallel verb to reconcile. So it's as if it were to say it pleased the Father that uh, the fullness should dwell and by him uh, things would be reconciled. So reconcile and and uh, um, and um, the word uh, dwell are together. There's some different verses. What's interesting is that they're equally equally drawn back to the verb, uh, which is to, it pleased the Father 
that in where it pleased the Father, it pleased the Father is the verb, and then both of those are actions out of that verb. So that makes sense. These are parallel states. No, okay. So if I said um, it pleased me to sit and to stand, two verbs that come out of those are infinitive phrases. To to that those are equal to my will. Okay, it, it pleased me to sit and to stand. Okay, so those are equal. They're just coming out of the same thought. Okay, so it was God's will for the fullness to dwell, and it was God's will to reconcile all things. Makes sense now. I know that's hard. Grammar, grammar is such a pain sometimes, but it's really helpful to understand what Paul was saying because Paul was a master of not the English language, but language and the Greek. He was a gifted and he, he there are a lot of subtleties in the language that really help us what he's trying to say and that's why I spend the time looking at it because I don't really care about the grammar except that it helps us more fully understand the intention when it went from Greek to English because English doesn't match Greek and it barely matches Spanish right <laughs> okay so it pleased the Father he willed that in Christ all fullness dwell, and it pleased the Father, he will, to reconcile all things to himself in Christ. So uh, the action of reconciliation, also another thought in verse 20, that action of reconciliation is dependent upon the divine fullness in 19. Vaughn has said, only in the one whom the divine fullness dwelled, only that one could accomplish reconciliation. So uh, we're looking at we will do number two and then we'll stop by him or through him in verse 20 Christ possessed the divine fullness and was the divine agent for reconciliation it was by or through Christ some places you'll see it by some places you'll see it through so it was because of him he was the agent of it now um I think I would like to share this quote with you. Um, no, uh, and uh, this is a good summarizing quote. Um, this is from Ironside. He said, as we ponder the wondrous truths brought before us in these verses. The spiritual mind will feel more and more that we have here truths of a character beyond the ability of human mind to grasp. Here is the truth for pious meditation. Pastors encourage us to take uh, Philippians 1.6 and, and meditate on that. So Cindy and I did some co-meditation this week. <laughs> She helps me think. <laughs> and uh, so um, we, we enjoyed that. But here's the truth for pious meditation also. To stir the soul to worship and thanksgiving. Not at all for the exercise of the intellect in theological speculations. As we read 
we would bow our hearts in lowly adoration and thus gaze upon the face of him who has come forth from the glory he had with the Father in the past eternity <coughs> in order to bring us to the knowledge of God. I like that because it, it really drives home that we're talking about very lofty subject, Christology, the study of Christ. There's no way we can understand all of those things. There's no way I can understand how sufficient Christ is in all everything. I can I can't understand him speaking in the word in the world created in six days. And the seventh day right. I mean who can understand those things? But we can believe them and trust in them and in God's holy word. And let's pray and ask the Lord to give us a good service. Father, thank you so much for each one that's here. And thank you for your help in addressing a very challenging subject that causes us great pause to wonder at a wonderful God we serve and what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. And we praise your name and thank you for your salvation. And Lord, like MacArthur, we really are in awe of what, who you are, what you have done, what you're doing, and what you will do. I pray that you would bless our service to follow. I pray for the families that are represented here, the ones that are watching at home. We pray your blessing upon them. We pray that you would give us a good day in worship and honor that all we do and say would, would really be blessing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.